Last week, we talked about the incredibly high calling that God has on our lives, the way he's challenged us to live a life that he says that every day to lay down our desires and our wants so that he, his wants and his desires may be manifested in our life. We talked about that as just an incredibly high calling. And yet, at the same time, he gives us such an incredibly high calling. He also gives us just unparalleled grace, mercy, compassion, and, and a great, great patience with us. And I am, I am so, so personally grateful for that patience. Um, I use it up every day. But in, in addition to that calling and the patience and the grace is the resources he gives us to meet that calling. And His Spirit has been placed inside of us. The body of Christ is all around us. Both of those things are important as we are seeking to lay down each day, to, to lay down our life each day and take His life upon us. And so His Holy Spirit is at work in us to be able to do that. Him, the body of Christ, I talked about that last week, about how we need to be here for the body of Christ and for his presence among us, and so, and how we rely on each other for growing. I want us to focus on the, the Word of God and one particular aspect of it. So the first verse, just like the verse that is kind of foundational to this, is 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and it, and it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Again, I'm using a different translation because so many of us know it by heart in either the King James, for all you old people, uh, the New American Standard for you middle-aged people, and the ESV for all you young people. You know, that's the, the, the generations of Bible translations there. This is the New Living Bible, and I put it in that translation because I don't want you to just recite it and walk away from it. I want us to read it and think, huh, I'm thinking about it differently because I read it that way. So when we think about the purpose of Scripture, it is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It it convicts us of sin and it helps us to see where we are in error. And it corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us what to do and how to do right. And if we're going to meet the challenge in being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we must be in His Word and increasingly growing in our understanding of it, and even more importantly, in our obedience of it. But one of the byproducts of being in God's Word is that we grow in wisdom. Please open up your Bible to Proverbs. That's where we're going to be this morning. Open up your Bibles to Proverbs. And if you want to just get ahead of, you know, open up to Proverbs 1. That's where we're going to start in our study today. Proverbs, as well as Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and Job, are considered the poetic books of the Bible. And especially in Proverbs and Psalms as well, but especially in Proverbs, you'll notice a style of writing where the author states and restates a truth. He states his point and then he restates his point in order for the reader to gain a greater understanding of it. He repeats it in different ways so that we can look at it from different angles, perhaps. That's how we'd say it. Most of it is written by Solomon, although you'll see a couple other gentlemen who have added to it as well that God has included in that. And Proverbs 1 through 9 is especially on wisdom. And then the Proverbs beyond that are on the contrast between wisdom and folly. 
The Proverbs beyond that talk about like, well, this is what wisdom does, but this is what foolishness does. So if we're going to talk about wisdom, Ken Boa um, has defined wisdom as wisdom has less to do with knowledge than it has to do with the application of knowledge in very specific ways. Wisdom is a skill and the art of living life with each component under the dominion of God. So he's saying, it's not about what you know, it's how you apply it, right? Well, here's another definition that I got from another commentator, and he says it like this. Knowledge is what is gathered over time through the study of the scriptures. It can be said that wisdom, in turn, acts properly upon that knowledge. So wisdom is the fitting application of knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge. Knowledge understands that the light has turned red, Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge sees quicksand. Wisdom walks around it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom obeys them. And finally, I love this last comment. Knowledge learns of God. Wisdom loves Him. So wisdom is applying what we're learning. In, In Proverbs 1, verse 20 and 23 is where I want to start us out here today. And also, because it's poetic here you're going to see wisdom characterized as a woman in the text. So here we are, verse 20, chapter 1. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts up her voice in the square at the head of the noisy street. She cries out at the entrance of the gates in the city. She utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And the fools hate knowledge. So here it's saying wisdom is like a woman who says, listen to what I have to offer you. And it says that she's lifting up her voice in the square. So the offer to wisdom is to everyone. Anyone who's in that square. So that's very a public offer. And she cries out. It says, at the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long will you love your simplicity? And your, in, in other words, how long will you love your, your living like you're living? full of its mistakes, full of its drama. How long do you want to live like that? Flip over to chapter 8. Here again, verse 1 through 5. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? At the top of the heights beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, discern prudence, and and O fools, discern wisdom. Listen, for I speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will produce right things, and my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward and to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than finest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot compare to her. So here she is again. She, here she again. She's making an offer to anyone who wants to hear. And again, she's saying, how long do you want to live the way you're living? Do you like it? Are you enjoying yourself? Are you having fun yet? Because what I'm offering you is something that can save you from that drama. Matter of fact, what I'm offering you, she says, in verses 14, 11, there it says, And for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot 
compare with her. Now go a little bit further. Chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let them turn in here. Whoever lacks understanding, she says, come in and eat my food and drink my wine that I've mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. So here she is again, a general call. And now she, she characterizes the wisdom as being a meal, a, a, a giant feast that she's prepared. And it's a feast that she's prepared that anyone can come and partake of. Anyone at all. And again, she makes the same appeal to the folly, to the naive. Turn in here. He who lacks understanding, she says. Compare that, stay in chapter 9. Compare that to verses 13, begin at 13. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. And she sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city calling out to those who pass by, who are making their path straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are in there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Her, depths, her de- guests are in the depths of hell. So here you are. You have two, in a sense, women calling out. One is wisdom. One calls out and says, this is for anyone and everyone. And if you're tired of the drama you're living in, if you're tired of all the foolishness of your life, if you're just tired of all that stuff, come to me. Come to me because I can give you good things. And meanwhile, meanwhile, there's another woman calling who says, come on in. I've got good stuff for you. You're really going to like it. Come on in. Come on in. And in verse 17, it says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So in other words, what you do there might be good for the moment. But then the next verse says, but those who enter there go into hell. The promises of the two women are very different. The end result of them are. In your mind's eye, you know, can you picture where a scene like in a city, like if, for instance, if when you go into an old city, when you go into any really, whether you're going to South America like we did in Guatemala, whether you go into Jerusalem, where you go into any city like that where the vendors are all lined up. And each of them, each of them, I mean, you are not going to walk into that market before someone has grabbed you and tried to sell you something. When we were in Guatemala, you know, Vicky tells us, she goes, I want to take you to this place. And so we go to this place and we walk in. And as soon as I walked in, this woman reaches out and grabs my hand and, and ties this thing on my hand before I can say, thank you, ma'am, can I have another? I mean, it happened in a split second. And then as soon as this was on my wrist, she goes, how many more would you like to buy? Well, I bought a few, all right? And that is kind of what is characterized here. Where as soon as you step into the city square, you have these people who are calling out to you and saying, come on, come on, I've got stuff for you. Come on, come on, I have something for you. Come on in, I have something you're really going to like. Constantly begging your attention. But it's really more than attention. It's your life that they're really calling for. It's not a few, you know, dinero. It's not a few shekels. It's not a few dollars. It is your life 
that they're calling for. The rest of the book, like I said, continues to, to compare what happens when one responds to wisdom versus when one responds to folly. For the rest of our time, I want us to look into chapter 4. And I want us to read through here. I'm going to read the text. It's 27 verses. I'm going to read the text. If you are a person who marks up your Bibles, mark in your Bible or take notes about all of the different things, ways that make wisdom ours. What are the actions? What, do you, what, is, what is the verse saying to us about do this? Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my teaching. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your hard heart hold fast. So hold fast, my words. Keep my commandments. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. So pay attention to those things there where he's saying, this is what you do. Do not forsake her. There's another thing. She will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is to acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her, and she will place on you, your head a garland of peace, and she will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and you will run, you will not stumble. So here's another. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her. She is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not pursue it in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, and that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence. From it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious lips Far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left, or turn your foot from evil. Here's I counted about twenty eight different things that the passage calls us to do. So it says, Here, give attention. Don't abandon wisdom. Hold fast to wisdom. Keep commandments. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Don't forget. Don't turn away. Don't forsake. Love wisdom. Acquire wisdom. Prize it. Embrace it. Hear it. Accept it. Take hold of it. Don't let go. Guard it. Give attention. Incline your ear. Keep it in sight. Keep it in your heart. Watch over it. Look ahead. Gaze in front. Watch your path. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Do you think the guy has a message for us. He also says a couple of things that he encourages us not to do. Verse 24, he says to put away deceitful, to put away from you a deceitful mouth, put away devious lips. And it's interesting, isn't it, that verse 14 and 15 
Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not, do not proceed there. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it. Pass on. In verse 25, 26, 27. Think about those. You know, 25, 26, 27. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Let your fix be in front of you. Watch your path of your feet. Let your ways and all your ways would be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left and keep your foot from evil. Now, think about those two passages in light of what we read in chapter 9, 13 through 18. Let's go back there, please. Chapter 9, 13 through 18. Wisdom says, do not turn to the right or left. Keep your eyes fixed. Don't go toward wickedness. And so here we have this woman of folly who says, come on in. So here you are. You're walking into the square. You're walking through town. You're walking just through your life. That's really what it is. You're just walking through your day. You're doing what you do. And during the course of your day, all day long, there's someone who's calling you saying, come on in. Come on in. Come here and do this. Come here and think this. Come here and do that. Respond this way. Think this way. Feel this way. Come on in. Come on in. Everyone else is doing it. You'll feel better about it. People will think you're really tough. People will think this about you. People will think that about you. If you come on in, come on in, come on in. And wisdom says, do not turn aside. Do not go in. Look straight ahead. And as she calls you, do not respond to her. Look straight ahead. Keep an eye on your path. Put one foot in front of you. And don't go to the left and don't go to the right. In essence, they're saying, keep yourself where you need to be. And keep yourself out of trouble's way. Miles Stanford in his book, um, Principles for Spiritual Growth, or the Green Letters, whichever version you might have read it in, he says that Christians need to keep themselves in conditions that are most favorable for growth. So in other words, consider our spiritual growth to be that like that, a grapevine. And for it to grow and produce fruit, it must be in the conditions best suited for that to happen. There are certain climates that a grapevine will really do well in. And there are other ones that it won't do well in. Now, I'm not talking about the backyard kind, but I'm talking about the kind that are mass-produced to produce a lot of fruit to make wine with. You need sun. You need the right humidity. You need the right moisture. You need the temperature to be right, so on and so forth. But a vine without sun and water with all these things, it won't produce the kind of growth you see there in the photograph. And our growth has to be placed in conditions that favor... Our spiritual walk has to be placed... In, in conditions that favor spiritual growth as well. And in the context of our study today, walking down the street and turning to the left or turning to the right and yielding to the call of folly is akin to yielding to the call of sin. And those decisions are placed in your life in conditions like that. Placing yourself in a place where you have to make those decisions, where you're put in that type of temptation, wisdom says, is folly. What are the benefits of answering to wisdom? Well, verse 1 and 7 says that you gain understanding. Verse 6 says that, that wisdom will guard you and watch over you. Verse 8 says that it will exalt you and it will honor you. Verse 10 says it adds years of life. Verse 11 says that it gives you a life of wisdom and righteousness. 
Verse 12 says that your steps will be unimpeded and you will not stumble. It will give you instruction on how to live life. It will give you life and health. It says all your ways will be established. Remember what Ken Boas said in the earlier definition about wisdom. He says, wisdom is skill in the art of living life with each component under the dominion of God. Wisdom helps us to live our life. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. You want to, you know, when you're a youngster and you want to learn how to drive, every person who wants to learn how to drive thinks, well, all you got to do is you just put the key in and there's this pedal and then there's that pedal and then there's this thing. And they think, well, that's what you do. But you need to know something else before you can safely manage the roads. You need to know what all those signs are about. You need to know what they're communicating because there's a lot of them. And in New Jersey, they speak a different language, right? (laughs) You need to know what those signs mean. So if the guy in front of you stops, you can't just go around him, can you? No. There are ways of doing things. And for our discussion today, wisdom helps you understand how to navigate the traffic of life in a godly manner. Wisdom for a driver says, well, I know they're stopped. It doesn't mean I get to go around them. I need to wait because maybe there's someone coming. Wisdom helps you understand what's happening on the road and and knows when you should stop, when you should pull over, when you should go fast, when you should get off the road. And wisdom for us in our daily lives, it, it, it helps us to navigate the traffic of our life. All of the stuff that happens to us and all of the things that demand our attention and a reaction, it helps us to navigate that in a godly manner. And and some of us have had a hard time learning how to apply wisdom to the traffic of our life. It takes time. Consider how water has cut channels and valleys through rock. None of us ever saw it happen. It just happened over the course of years and years and years. Dr. Ryrie, Charles Ryrie, says that, that most of our Christian life is made up of the routines of faithfulness. The routines of faithfulness. In other words, it doesn't happen in flashes of glory. It happens in the mundane routines of daily life. Ryrie says that that's why Paul summarizes the Christian's conduct in the context of ordinary routine affairs. Where in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul is writing about our our conduct. He's writing about our Christian affairs. When he's writing about everyday living, he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul understood that daily life is where the rubber meets the road. Paul understood that it's in those mundane things where we have to yield to him and exercise wisdom to him. He's emphasizing how we are to incorporate godliness and holiness and wisdom into our daily life. And I think the key verse of this chapter is verse 23, where he says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Who we are daily, in the routines of life, and in just the mundane things we do, whatever kind of fruit we produce, or the type of water that flows from our springs of our life, are determined by the way that we do what this chapter has said here, are determined by the way we hold fast, are determined by the way we keep 
by the way we take hold of, by the way that we guard, by the way we give attention to, by the way we watch over. All these things it's talking here are talking about wisdom, but it's talking about our spiritual life in general. For that's what Timothy says, that the soldier does not get entangled into the things of everyday living, of the, of the world. He's about being a soldier. The athlete does not get caught up in all the other things because an athlete is training for the sport, for the event he's participating in. And so for us as believers, and for us who are determined to try and have our lives produce fruit that is godliness, that represents him well, that gives him glory, that looks like him, it doesn't happen in the moments of big flash. It doesn't happen in the moments of crisis, although he does come through for us. It happens in the daily routines of our life. And actually, that's where it's the most difficult, isn't it? We don't think twice about running to him in a crisis. People don't think twice about coming to church when he or she has walked out on them. But it's harder for us to be in the word, to be in prayer, to be in church, to be doing the right things day in and day out when it matters and when we are building up that memory muscle, as they say, to do the right thing when it matters the most. The diligence that we give to being in the word and in prayer and attention to our daily life determines how much wisdom we find in our lives, determines how we navigate the traffic of our life. Let's close in a word of prayer, okay? Lord, isn't it appropriate that when you talk about wisdom and the woman's call out to people in the square, that she calls out to the naive, that she calls out to those who don't know any better. I just confess my own ignorance, my own waywardness all the time, going through a day and not listening to you. So grateful for your patience. So grateful that today you will call out to us and we have the choice to to respond to you or to respond to folly. Grow us up into being a people who are encouraging each other to respond to wisdom. Grow us up to be a people who are responding to you day in and day out in the routines of our lives in such a way that we're honoring you and we're growing in you and your character is growing in us and we are looking and, and thinking and smelling like you more and more each day so that someday at the end of 2018, a year from now, we'll look back on our lives and we'll say, how did that happen? Because it happened. It will have happened because it happened in daily little decisions to honor you with our lives in that moment. May we find wisdom growing in us as we hold fast to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.